This is the Sideline Distant Podcast, coming to you from YouTube and iTunes. Follow me on Twitter, as always, at the Brad Whitaker. I am the Brad Whitaker. New digs, new setup. Back to you on the video end. Uh, but let's get straight to it. Lots to talk about today. All NBA. Uh, exciting time uh, for potential NBA rumors and transactions at the managerial level. At the player level, lots going on, trade, deadline, speculation. Uh, I'm going to talk about DeMarcus Cousins, his move to the Pelicans, what it means for the New Orleans organization. I touched on that yesterday, uh, but I'll get into more specifics today. actually have lots of notes for this podcast. I'm uh, also going to talk to Boston Celtics and two players they should absolutely go after before Thursday's trade deadline. Uh, but first... The Los Angeles Lakers have promoted Magic Johnson to the general manager role of the team. And this comes just a week after uh, Johnson was uh, picked up as an advisor for the Lakers. And uh, now he's the general manager. And uh, let me let me start with this before I start poo-pooing the decision like crazy. The most successful general managers in professional sports are never paralyzed by anything. Everyone called Bill Belichick crazy. Bill Belichick, he's the head coach of the Patriots, but he's also the general manager. Everyone called him crazy in the middle of the NFL regular season uh, when he traded away his most talented defensive player by far. I am more talented than Hightower or McCourty. His most talented defensive player in terms of athleticism, Jamie Collins, he traded a midseason to the Cleveland Browns for a uh, third-round compensatory pick. Everyone criticized Belichick for that decision, and uh, how did it work out? It worked out pretty well, didn't it? When Theo Epstein took over as the general manager of the Chicago Cubs, he didn't make any significant splashes for many years. No, what did he do? He conservatively built up a farm system of position players, and it was a process. It took multiple seasons. Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, Addison Russell, all these guys came up through the system. Uh, he traded for an undervalued Anthony Rizzo. We saw what happened there. All those players slowly rose to the majors. Uh, they invested in their pitching. That's really all they spent money on. And, and then made the right bullpen move midseason uh, to win the World Series, uh, bringing in Aroldis Chapman and pretty much throwing out his arm and then sending him back to the Yankees. Uh, but that that's what it took. It took many years for uh, Theo Epstein to break that Chicago curse. Uh, unlike the Red Sox, when he inherited that team, a lot of that team was already set up to contend for a World Series. Epstein, when he went to Chicago, it took many years for him to build that team, but it ultimately worked out. And what did those moves require, you know, for Belichick, for Theo Epstein, and, and for a lot of the great general managers that have built up uh, these franchises over the years? They required patience. And when you're one of the three or four gold standard organizations in the NBA, I see, I think there's four gold standard organizations in the league. There's the Boston Celtics, the New York Knicks, the Chicago Bulls, and the Los Angeles Lakers. When, uh, when you run any of those four teams, it's incredibly difficult to be patient, especially at the general manager level. What you have is you have these fan bases and the local media that grow impatient so quickly. You know, I, I, I grew up in New England. Uh, the Red Sox have one bad season, and the media turns against them like you can't believe. There's no patience. 
There's no patience in Boston. There's no patience in New York. There's no patience in L.A., at least for the Lakers. There definitely is not. And, you know, the Knicks, they've never been patient. And because of it, they've had limited success since acquiring Carmelo Anthony. Even before that, you have to go back to the Ewing days since they've been a consistently productive team. The last time they were consistently productive, Patrick Ewing was on the team. Now, New York, it's not like they haven't tried over the last two decades to uh, be a top contender in the NBA. They always seem to try to make a blockbuster move all the time. And when they do, at best, they come out as a middle-of-the-pack playoff team in the lowly Eastern Conference. Now, you can figure out on the New York Knicks end who to blame. You can say it's it's James Dolan. You can say it's Phil Jackson. The ridiculous turnover rate of head coaches of the Knicks. Whomever you want to blame, it comes down to one thing. And that's a lack of patience. And I think we're beginning to see the same trend within the Los Angeles Lakers organization. Already, the organization has seem to grow tired of this whole rebuilding shtick, which is required in the NBA, and it's a process that takes well over five years, often a full decade, to completely rebuild your team. Just look at the Philadelphia 76ers. Where are they, what, four, five, six seasons into their rebuilding? And just now, just now, they're beginning to get a return on investment. And they're, and they're still not going to make the playoffs, not even close. You know, and you know they, they probably won't be a contender for at least another couple of seasons. And I I would argue they've made all the right moves they should. These things take time. It's not like the NFL where you can replace a 30-year roster in the offseason and go from a 6-10 and team to a 12-4 and team and contend for the Super Bowl. The NBA, it takes many, many years to build. It's a top-heavy league. We already pretty much know the two teams that are going to the NBA Finals, although I'm going to make a case for the Boston Celtics about the trade deadline that, that could put them in position, but right now they're not in position. We know it's it's Cleveland and Golden State and everyone else. It takes a long time to build teams, and, and the Lakers just don't seem to have the patience to develop D'Angelo Russell, Brandon Ingram, uh, Julius Randle, and Jordan Clarkson. It's going to take a long time, again, five to ten years, for these guys to really blossom into something. And, you know, two out of those four guys will be busts. That's just the way it works in the NBA. And apparently the Lakers are actually reportedly willing to trade all of those guys, except for Ingram, who, who's the star that they want to build around, but he's still, what, six foot ten, uh, 130 pounds. So they, they, they got a ways to go with Brandon Ingram. So now what are the Lakers doing? With this move today, they are cleaning house in the front office and clinging to their storied past, which seems to be something NBA franchises, actually sports franchises, tend to do when they're going through a bit of an identity crisis. They promoted Magic Johnson to the general manager role for the simple-minded reason, which is he's a winner. He's a winner. That's the only reason. Now, of course, Magic Johnson, he he has a plan. Just look at what he would have done had he been general manager of the Lakers just this past offseason. Johnson tweeted the following back in May. Laker Nation, the first free agent the Lakers should go after is Kevin Durant. And then six minutes later, he tweeted this. Laker Nation, 
the Lakers should call LeBron James' agent. We know he's going to stay in Cleveland, but they should go after him just in case he leaves. Absolutely brilliant. Bravo, Magic. Bravo. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that going after LeBron James and Kevin Durant would be a smart move for any NBA organization? And this delusion has existed for a long time, especially among Lakers fans and and maybe even the Lakers front office. They have this delusion that they could have picked up Kevin Durant and LeBron James in the offseason because they wear the purple and gold. And this delusion, again, has always existed. Remember their pitch to LaMarcus Cousins two years, I mean, LaMarcus Cousins, LaMarcus Aldridge two years ago? Aldridge went in, uh, Kobe was still with the team, I think it was uh, a year before he retired, or two years before he retired, or tired, and uh, basically Kobe's pitch to Aldridge was, kid, you want to be a star? This is LA, the big time great weather. What did Aldridge do? He took less money to work with smart management and coaching and players willing to make sacrifices that buy into the culture in San Antonio. Kevin Durant did the same thing with in Golden State. He didn't even consider meeting with the Lakers this offseason because he knew what was going to happen. He was going to meet uh, with Kupchak and Jim Buss, and they were going to say, this is LA, this is the big time, palm trees, you can be a star kid, everyone's going to love you. No. Durant went to the organization with great management, a general manager that nobody knows his name because they actually hire smart guys, a smart head coach, and players that are willing to make sacrifices and buy into the culture. That's what Kevin Durant did. That's what LaMarcus Aldridge did when he had the chance to go to the Lakers for a lot of money, more money than he would have uh, had going to the Spurs or, or, or re-signing in Portland. Let me, let me just give you a list of who I consider to be the top general managers in the NBA. Let me read this to you. For the San Antonio Spurs, R.C. Buford, Golden State Warriors, Bob Myers, Oklahoma City Thunder, Sam Presti, Houston Rockets, Daryl Morey, Boston Celtics, Danny Ainge. Nine out of ten NBA fans don't know who any of those guys are. Maybe they know Danny Ainge because... His name's been thrown around a lot in the uh, NBA media. He's a former player. But even Danny Ainge was, look at his career stats. He was a role player for the Boston Celtics. He never he never averaged more than 20 points per game until he was traded to uh, Sacramento uh, midway through his career. Maybe Danny, may, uh, Danny Ainge didn't become general manager of the Celtics because of Celtics nostalgia. Which is the same reason, which is why I think Magic Johnson is the general manager of of the Los Angeles Lakers, for nostalgic reasons. This is what you need in, in, to, in the general manager position. Maybe, maybe you get a high-profile coach or a high-profile business owner to own the team, but when it comes to general managers, you want someone who is low-key, analytically driven, understands culture, and puts in the hours. Not an ex-superstar or a businessman with lots of shit on his plate, as Magic Johnson does. He's a co-owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers, and and he has other business deals he has to work with. Now he's the general manager of the Lakers, on top of that. What did Magic say last week when he was promoted to Lakers advisor, uh, before they even made the general, uh, general manager announcement? This is what he said. He said he wanted to bring in Kobe Bryant into the front office, 
because he's a winner. Magic Johnson's general manager because he's a winner. That tells you everything you need to know. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I, I think the Lakers are giving up on rebuilding. They're going to throw everything away. I have a feeling. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to predict this right now, and you can get back to me in 48 hours. I would not be shocked if the Lakers traded for Carmelo Anthony. And yes, it's going to help with jersey sales. It's going to have a big splash in L.A. He's going to be wearing the Lakers gold and purple. But, you know, when has surrounding Melo with a bunch of young, upside guys ever worked? Especially if you have to trade all their, your assets away, like, like the Knicks did when they acquired Carmelo in the first place for Denver, because Carmelo was too impatient to wait till the offseason to sign with New York while they could keep all their, uh, uh, their assets at the time. I, I don't agree with this decision on Phil Jackson, and, you know, they, they fired Mitch Kupchak. And they they pretty much fired Jim Buss. They pretty much kicked him upstairs, so he's going to yell at a wall for the next five years. It's you, you can hire a celebrity as your head coach. You can get a celebrity owner of the basketball team. You have Mark Cuban. There's other celebrity owners. Steve, uh, what's his name? Steve Ballmer for the Clippers. But you can't have a celebrity general manager. It doesn't work out, and it's never worked out. Never worked out. So, uh, it's, it's been over, uh, what? 36 hours since uh, the Pelicans acquired DeMarcus Cousins via trade. Pelicans ended up giving, uh, what was it, Tyreek Evans, Langston Galloway, and their their first and second round picks for, for uh, this upcoming offseason. And uh, they got DeMarcus Cousins in return. Uh, everyone in the sports media thinks the Sacramento Kings were robbed, and this is just a reflection of how dysfunctional the Kings organization is. Stop it. DeMarcus Cousins is the most overvalued player in the NBA. Now, because I'm saying overvalued, I don't mean he's not talented. But as I said in the last segment, do not get paralyzed by talent alone. He's the most talented low post player in the league, and it's not even close. But again, talent is just a small variable when it comes to winning games. There's so many other factors you have to take into account. And if we're judging the Cousins trade on just talent, then clearly the Kings got burned and the Pelicans got a massive steal. They fleeced Sacramento. If you're judging it by talent, a couple of draft picks, two expiring contracts of two mediocre players... So everyone in the media is paralyzed by talent, and oh, DeMarcus Cousins is so great, and everyone's been making excuses for DeMarcus Cousins his entire career. He's always in television ads every time uh, you're watching a basketball game. But as Sacramento Kings broadcaster Grant Napier, he's been their play-by-play guy for many years, highly respected in the uh, broadcasting business. He told us on Twitter uh, yesterday or this morning exactly why DeMarcus Cousins was traded away. Let me read 
you uh, his series of tweets. He said, Trading DeMarcus Cousins was an absolute no-brainer. There has been a dark cloud over this franchise for years. That cloud is now gone. The Kings were never going to win with Cousins. Never. This was a no-brainer. I wish him well. I really do, but it was time. The Sacramento Kings just became a team again. It's time to move into the future. It's time to start winning. This gives them the best chance. And here's maybe the most important thing. Most of Cousins' teammates the past seven years hated playing with him. That is a fact. Let me read to you that second-to-last sentence again from uh, Grant Napier, play-by-play broadcaster for the Sacramento Kings. Most of Cousins' teammates the past seven years hated playing with him. That's all you need to know. That's it. And and look, the Pelicans, they didn't make this move to contend for titles. They have they have a large front court. Maybe this front court could have won an NBA title in the 90s, but the game's constantly evolving. They have a dominant front court in an age where having a dominant front court doesn't mean as much. All right? They didn't make this move to contend for titles. The New Orleans Pelicans made this move for one reason and one reason only. To be relevant. New Orleans has been irrelevant ever since they chose that awful nickname, the Pelicans. And their star, Anthony Davis, has the same superstar sex appeal that Tim Duncan has. He's great, but nobody cares or talks about him. So what did they do? They bring in DeMarcus Cousins, who everybody in the sports media has been making excuses for in the last five to six years. He's been nothing but a head case. Here's why they did it. The Pelicans last season, the New Orleans Pelicans were dead last in the NBA in TV viewership. You know what they were averaging? This is ridiculous for an NBA franchise. Last season, they averaged just 7,000 households per game watching the Pelicans. 7,000. Compare that to the first place Warriors last season. They averaged... 209,000 households per game. And like the Knicks, who gave up all their assets uh, to Denver just so they could bring in Carmelo Anthony, they did it just to be relevant. The Pelicans aren't going to get anywhere other than the middle of the Western Conference playoff race. And I think I'm being generous by saying that. They're never going to surmount to anything higher than a four or, or five seed in the Western Conference. They're not beating Golden State. They're not beating San Antonio. They're not beating Houston. Hell, they're not beating the Clippers or Utah. Again, they have a dominant front court, DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis, in an age where having a dominant front court has never meant so little. They brought in a superstar who will draw eyes, TV viewers, and drive jersey sales. But they brought in a distraction who likely will be gone in two years anyways. Everyone forgets that DeMarcus Cousins' contract actually runs out, uh, what is it, after next season or the season after? He's going to be gone in two years, okay? Honestly, I think this move, assuming DeMarcus Cousins doesn't re-sign, even if he does re-sign, he's been such a big cancer in the clubhouse I just made that up cancer in the clubhouse uh he's been such a distraction and that 
no matter what, I think the Pelicans just set their organization back another 10 years. They might have bought themselves two seasons of relevance before Cousins goes elsewhere or re-signs and slowly deteriorates that organization. It's going to take a long time for them to dig themselves out of this hole. I know everyone's excited to see Anthony Davis play alongside DeMarcus Cousins. I'm excited to season. I'm excited just as well, just the same, but it, it might work for like two months. It might be a healthy relationship for two months, but as we've seen with DeMarcus Cousins, it never works out and it never will. It's time to stop making excuses for DeMarcus Cousins. So, uh, most people did not expect the Boston Celtics to be the second best team in the Eastern Conference uh, with a third of the regular season to go. We're two-thirds of the way through the season, and uh, the Celtics are getting better. They're arguably the best defensive team in the NBA, and and nobody and it's caught everyone off guard. And, and it makes sense why it has, Uh Celtics don't really have any flashy offensive players. Even Isaiah Thomas, I mean, he he's not flashy. He just picks things up in the fourth quarter. The Celtics, but the Celtics are winning because they are a culture and defensive oriented team. But we know, and and we know this because of what we've seen with LeBron James. We know the regular season means absolutely nothing in the NBA. I mean, eight teams make the playoffs in each conference. That's half the league makes the postseason. All right, or more than half the league. So all you have to do is get in, and then then what really matters is April, May, and June. And uh, again, as we saw, the Cavaliers, they, they understand that. They're resting. They're not, they don't care as much about the regular season, and... I, I mean, I, I currently don't believe the Celtics, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a Celtics fan, but I don't think they can beat the Cavs in a seven-game series. In fact, I don't even think the Celtics right now could beat the Cavaliers twice in a best-of-seven-game series. And, and let me tell you why. And I'm a Celtics fan. I'm just trying to look at this objectively. Here's why. The Cavaliers... Again, regular season doesn't matter. The Cavaliers are the only team in the Eastern Conference with a winning record against teams above 500. They're 13 and 8. So let me let me say that again. The Cavaliers are the only team in the Eastern Conference with a winning record against teams with winning records. The second best team against plus 500 teams in the Eastern Conference of the Chicago Bulls. They're 13 and 13, but of course they can't beat bad teams. They're 15 and 16 against teams below 500. And then coming in at third is the Boston Celtics, but they're still under 500 against above 500 teams. They're 11 and 12 against winning teams. It's just they've compensated by going 26 and 8 against below 500 teams. But what does that tell you? The Cavaliers simply take nights off. 
because they understand April, May, and June are what matter, not the middle of the regular season. And 82 games is a long time for a physical sport like basketball. It wears players down. And LeBron James, this isn't his first rodeo, he has a chance at making a seventh consecutive NBA Finals appearance. He has perspective on the regular season. And the Cavs are 13-8 against teams above 500. And the Celtics are 11-12 and against teams above 500, and that's good compared to the rest of the Eastern Conference, which suffers against winning record teams. Now, look, the teams, many believe that in the NBA, the formula for winning is to simply have the most superstars. If you have the most superstars, you're going to win the most games, and you're going to have the best shot at the NBA title. Just look at Cleveland, look at Golden State. And that's somewhat correct but it's not quite that simple. If it worked that way, the New York Knicks would be one of the best teams every season. It's the team with the most stars and role players that complement each other that wins in the NBA. Analytics, culture, coaching, all that plays a factor. But superstars do certainly matter, and you want to have them as long as they do complement each other. But if, if it were just superstars that mattered, the Celtics would have acquired DeMarcus Cousins. You know, they could have given up way less pieces than uh, New Orleans did, but they understand he wouldn't be a good fit for Boston. They also would consider Carmelo Anthony. That's not going to happen. There are rumors that they want to go after Blake Griffin. I believe that's also hot air. Boston doesn't want him. But there are two players right now. Boston would trade all their assets for Jimmy Butler or Paul George. That's, those are the two players the Celtics want. And I think, again, Boston has Brooklyn's first-round pick, could potentially be the number one pick in the draft. They, uh, they have the worst record in the NBA by far. They have their first-round pick this year, which means they could get uh, Lonzo Ball or that kid from Washington. I always forget his name. And uh, they also get Brooklyn's pick next year, and, and the Nets aren't getting any better. So those are highly valuable assets. But if they could acquire someone like Jimmy Butler or Paul George, I think the Celtics would trade away both of those and even be willing to give up a a Marcus Smart and or a Jay Crowder or someone like that. Or maybe even Avery Bradley, whose contract is set to run out. But I think the the real primary focus among Jimmy Butler and Paul George is, is Butler. Other than Kawhi Leonard... Kawhi Leonard of the San Antonio Spurs, who who is the most underrated player in the NBA, Jimmy Butler's contract is the best value for what he provides. It's a long-term deal. It's cheap. He's always been the kind of player that's willing to make sacrifices. He's a culture guy. He's the kind of player that Brad Stevens or Bill Belichick would jump to get. Obviously, Jimmy Butler is a great offensive player, but he's really known as an amazing probably the best in the league uh, in terms of perimeter defense, which is so valuable. Having a great perimeter defender has never been more valuable than in today's NBA. And if the Celtics could get Butler, they would have the stars to contend with the Cleveland Cavaliers. They'd be able to match them up on their level. I mean, Isaiah Thomas, Al Horford, Avery Bradley's having a breakout season, and everyone overlooks his defense. Then you add Jimmy Butler to that mix, they're going to need some rebounding. But the Celtics, with Jimmy Butler, Isaiah, Horford, Avery Bradley, and their deep bench, they could contend with Cleveland. 
And then perhaps even more importantly, that defense, especially adding a perimeter defender like Jimmy Butler, they could match up against the Golden State Warriors very well, who have no size and no rebounding and no depth. They are built. The Boston Celtics with Jimmy Butler would be built to beat the Golden State Warriors. Now, Paul George, he's the same prototype as Jimmy Butler, especially defensively. He's a little bit bigger and and probably a more high-powered offensive player. And I'd say uh, I'd give Butler the advantage as a perimeter defender, but they're both elite NBA defenders. So Paul George could fill that role that I'm talking about with Butler very well. Uh, But the reason why I don't think that's as likely as the Celtics going after Butler is... Uh, his contract situation isn't, ide- isn't ideal. He's, he's going to be a free agent at the end of the season. Uh, I, I only think the Celtics would pull off that kind of deal if it could be a trade and, su- trade and sign kind of situation. Uh, they trade for Paul George and then immediately sign him to an extension. I think that's really the only way they would trade for Paul George. But let's be clear here. The Celtics want Jimmy Butler. They also want Paul George. They're going to take whomever they can get, but they'll only take George if he's willing to sign an extension. That's my opinion. But again, the Celtics are able to give up their picks and maybe a Jay Crowder or a Marcus Smart. I think they could acquire Jimmy Butler or Paul George and potentially win the NBA title this season. Look, nobody expected them to be the number two team in the East. They are... The Cavaliers, they're kind of deteriorating, although I don't think they care about the regular season that much. They're built for the postseason. LeBron knows what's important. But adding Jimmy Butler or Paul George could put the Celtics in contention in the Eastern Conference for Cleveland, and that team would be built defensively to beat the Golden State Warriors and defend the perimeter. So that's it for today's podcast. I'll be back again tomorrow. Uh, Until then... I bid you adieu.